Welcome back to Mom and Terry. I'm the mom, Linda Weiniger, and today we're coming to you live from Pleasant Grove Rec Center again. Um, <laughs> so, Dad had to take the computer because somebody stole his computer at an event, which is so lame. Like, people, get a job, you know? Um, and if you're going to try and steal stuff, like, don't steal stuff that people are going to actually try and use same day, you know? Like, steal something that like people aren't actually looking at and worrying about like you're just causing unnecessary stress anxiety like don't that's not cool you know you wouldn't want somebody to do that to you so (laughs) hi julie (laughs) so i get to see julie when we're here okay so we're on exodus chapter 35 to 40 and then leviticus chapter 1 chapter 16 and 19 remember we're skipping around now because there is absolutely no way that we could cover the entire old testament in the amount of time that we have left i mean there is just not if i was the one reading them because let's be honest it would take forever and i don't have forever so anyways we also get to see, I saw, let's see, I got to see my my Julie, and then I got to see my Sonia, and then I got to see Dilia, she works here too, and just a lot of friends. So it's like kind of nice, but also <laughs> I get distracted very easily. Squirrel, can you tell? Okay, so we are just a little bit behind, but we're going to try and stay on schedule. Oh, and yesterday was Mother's Day, and it was so fun. Um, We went to church, and the bishopric actually took care of the primary, and we had some brothers that came in and actually uh, filled in for all the sisters so that all the sisters could be in Relief Society, one special lesson. So that was fun. And um, the bishopric was the one who conducted, and that was it was pretty cute. Anyway, um, and then the kids passed out, and I and my second counselor passed out the handmade flowers that everybody did and we made 140 and i think we only needed like 100 because i think we have 40 left over whoops that would have helped us get to bed a little sooner um but it was great it was great and then we had um my brother was hosting a mother's day dinner it was so cute he called it he called it Casa de Bardale because it's an Italian place, apparently. And anyway, his kids and our kids were serving us the food, but it was mostly their kids because, like, his kids because he was the one that had told them what they were going to do. So our kids were just helping out, but it was pretty fun to see them and so cute. And then um, for... So we got, so it was grandma was there, um, Tia Vanessa was there, and Hobie was there, and I was there. And I got to dance with Hobie, because there was like a slow song, and I was like, oh, I should dance with Hobie. So then I danced with Hobie, and it was so cute, I started crying, like, immediately. Because <laughs> he's so old, he's getting so old, and I know that, I know that it's going to be his time to go home soon. And I don't want him to go. But I also... I also know that he's not really all there anymore. He didn't even remember that I came and stopped by with Flora the other day. And, I mean, we didn't really do anything special. But, you know, just being with him was awesome. And so, so yeah, kind of a little bit sad. 
So I wanted to take take advantage of the opportunity to dance with Hobie because that would that was what made it so special. Okay, so um, here we go. Some background here. Moses is the author of the book of Leviticus. Um, the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus says the Levites held the lesser priesthood and performed ordinances in the tabernacle. The book of Leviticus is like a priesthood handbook of instructions for their various duties. Leviticus is like a handbook for the priesthood. And um, so I know that it's been said that calling the um, Aaronic priesthood the lesser priesthood is not cool so it's more of a preparatory priesthood because it prepares you to make additional covenants with the Lord um, when you are taking upon yourself the Melchizedek priesthood covenants and so it's not lesser it's just tech I mean I guess it's not as many covenants as you're making. So maybe in that way it is less, but it's just different, right? So uh, so it just prepares you for having additional covenants with the Lord. Okay, and then Moses was seeking to spiritually prepare the Israelites and they needed to a temple, but they were not yet settled in the land of Canaan. Therefore, they built a portable temple or a tabernacle um traveling temple i like to call it too they had already begun the tabernacle but now but had now lost the higher priesthood therefore the tabernacle was adapted to be used with the rites and ordinances of the law of moses and the preparatory priesthood okay so here we go uh verse or chapters 35 36 and 37 are going to talk about the gifts for, for the tabernacle then the wise men work on the tabernacle, and then the Ark of the Covenant is made. Um, and then 38, altar burnt offering. And then 39, clothing made for the priests, tabernacle completed. And then um, Exodus chapter 40 is Aaron and sons washed and anointed. So there's going to be a lot of... Um, it's going to seem like terms and conditions. Like, that's kind of what it kind of reminds me of when I'm when I was when we were listening to this in in the car actually we listened to the these chapters in the car on our way to uh the bountiful tabernacle that they had built um and it was so cool so so cool um so bear with me as we read through this also please know that if i'm gonna pass if i'm reading this too quickly and i pass over some things that i really do love these chapters but i'm passing them over because there are a lot there's a lot to cover here and a three-hour episode does not seem right although for the temple it probably does also i'm really sorry about this clubbing music for temple scriptures jeez it's ridiculous but this is the time that flora is hanging out over here with friends and like i figured this would help get um give me some time to to read these Okay, says Israel is uh, Exodus chapter 35. Israel is admonished to observe the Sabbath. Free gifts are offered for the tabernacle. The calls and inspiration of certain artisans are confirmed. 
Okay, and Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together and said unto them, These are the words which the Lord hath commanded that ye should do them. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day there shall be to you an holy day, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whosoever doeth work therein shall be put to death. Ye shall kindle no fire throughout your habitations upon the Sabbath day. Seems kind of harsh, right? But if you think about it, um, they we're trying to like the lord is trying to prepare these people because they've never really been um knowing what they were supposed to do because they were just being like led by slave drivers right and so it makes sense that the lord's trying to spell it out like step by step for them now and um maybe that's the kind of uh incentive they needed to to hear you know like if we do this we'll live and not die um so in exodus 34 moses had received the preparatory law since the israelites had failed to obey the higher law this is part of the definition of the law of moses as found in the bible dictionary the name assigned okay quote in the bible dictionary the law of moses the name assigned to the whole collection of written law laws given through moses to the house of israel as a replacement of the higher law that they had failed to obey. The law of Moses consisted of many ceremonies, rituals, and symbols to remind the people frequently of their duties and responsibilities. It included a law of carnal commandments and performances added to the basic laws of the gospel. Faith, repentance, baptism in water, and remission of sins were part of the law, as were also the Ten Commandments. Although inferior to the fullness of the gospel, there were many provisions in the law of Moses of high ethical and moral value that were equal to the divine laws of any dispensation. The law of carnal commandments and much of the ceremonial law were fulfilled at the at the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The law functioned under the Aaronic priesthood and was a preparatory gospel to bring its adherence to Christ. End quote. Okay, so that's what it is the the apostle paul explained that the law of moses was our schoolmaster to bring us unto christ that's found in galatians chapter 3 verse 24 a schoolmaster was one whom a family trusted to take a child to and from school and were responsible for that child's manners and safety dude i need somebody like that <laughs> therefore the law of moses was meant to be a preparatory law a law to prepare them for the greater law they were not yet ready for the old testament or the old covenant is largely a record of israelites seeking to live the law of moses though adam enoch abraham and others were given the fullness of the law the new testament or new covenant is a record of christ coming to the earth and teaching his gospel which would have been a new covenant to the israelites okay so verses one through three it says in the previous chapter moses had come from the mount and he began instructing the israelites now in this chapter moses was going to begin instructing them on what was needed to build the tabernacle but moses began with emphasizing the importance of the sabbath day the sabbath must be kept even if they were doing work on the tabernacle they were given precise instruction to kindle no fire throughout your habitations upon the sabbath day this could have been helped this could have been to help them properly prepare for the Sabbath day, doing work ahead of time. It could have been to help them refrain from this, from doing work on the tabernacle for the purpose of making tools or ornaments, or it could have been because making a making of a fire in their day was a considerable amount of work and effort. 
Before Moses spoke of the work on the tabernacle, he first addressed the importance of honoring the Sabbath. So they couldn't work on the Sabbath day on the tabernacle. To me, that seems so crazy, right? Because, I mean, there's so many ways that I've been trying to justify working on my passion projects on Sunday. And I guess if the Israelites are told not to work on the Sabbath day when they're building a literal, like, temple where you can worship the Lord. If you can't build that on the Sabbath, I don't know if me working on my passion projects counts like or I don't know if that's okay for me to do and obviously that's something I need to take to the Lord myself and find out if there's other ways that I can worship and and uh reverence him on the Sabbath day so so yeah I I still have some work to do and I and it's okay you know I'm not perfect at figuring the sabbath day stuff out because at the same time you know i was the one making lists before because that's i would consider making lists to keep the sabbath day holy is like a preparatory uh way to keep the sabbath day holy and i feel like trying to change the way that we worship and trying to make um trying to make it more holy and change the feeling of the the sabbath day in our hearts and really trying to discover what it is and how our worship is on the sabbath i think that is maybe a higher version right than my list making uh sabbath keeping ways um but i feel like that's what you need with little kids you know it's like give us ideas of what to do on the sabbath day and then we can keep the sabbath day holy but I haven't been doing so good even on the list. So, yeah, I need to do better. Okay, I'm setting my timer because I need to go pick up Flora soon. And want to make sure that... I guess it's not that soon, but it's soon enough that it'll come quick and I'll forget. Okay, um, verse 4. And Moses spoke unto the, all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, Take ye from among you an offering... Unto the Lord, whosoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it an offering of the Lord, gold and silver and brass and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair and ram skins dyed red and badger's skins and shittim wood and oil for the light and spices for anointing oil and for the sweet incense and oxen stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastplate and every wise hearted among you shall come and make all the Lord hath commanded uh, make all that the Lord hath commanded the tabernacle his tent and his covering his his tashes and his boards his bars his pillars and his sockets the ark and the staves thereof with the mercy seat and the veil of the covering the table and the staves and all his vessels and the shoe bread the candlestick also for the light and his furniture and his lamps with the oil for the light and the incense altar and his staves and the anointing oil and the sweet incense and the hanging for the door at the entering of in of the tabernacle uh the altar of the burnt offering with his brass and grate his staves and all his vessels and the layer laver 
and his foot and the hangings of the court, his pillars and the so their sockets and the hanging for the door of the court, the pins of the tabernacle and the pins of the court and their cords and the clothes of service to do service in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron, the priest and the garments of his sons to minister in the priest's office. Okay. Um, this to me sounds like when you're making a plan, you kind of go over all the things that you need. Like, okay, we're going to need this, 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 this. And that's kind of what that looks like to me. Um, just kind of like a big list of like a general list of what you need. And this was, whew, these were the items needed for the tabernacle. Uh, so Moses first called on all these who had a willing heart and a wise heart to come forth and to help build the tabernacle. So they probably had like, so he was asking for donations, right? Like here's all the things we're going to be doing. And so we'll need a couple of these and things and leathers and fabrics and silver and brass and all those things, right? So that, so that they could begin, um, building the tabernacle but they basically like their first sacrifice was sacrificing their items their personal items that they've collected that they've worked hard to get um maybe that they got from the the egyptians and things like that um and and this was a good sacrifice for them because remember they came from a place who who worshipped idols and they liked good things that are gorgeous and you know so they kind of was were raised around uh people that were very um what is it very materialistic and so to ask for materials first as like their sacrifice i think that was uh, that that could have been hard for a lot of people. So, so it was definitely something that they would need to, you know, overcome first before they could actually enter the temple. So, like, I love that this was like becoming a part of them, right? Like, like their first sacrifices. Um, nowadays, they do not ask us to help build temples like that. They don't ask us to donate our silver or anything like that for the temple although that'd be cool and i have a, a few friends in my mind that would have things that could be donated to sit in the temple you know and that would be awesome uh but i don't have anything nice to put in the temple which makes me sad but also i can't own nice things right now i have little kids <laughs> okay but um the elder antoine and Antoni, I don't know how to say his name. Antoine, Antoni, Antony R. Ivins says, I was struck with the very frequent references in which in the resurrection, in, wait, in the reconstruction after the exodus from Egypt, they had to ask for contributions from the people for their work. And the thing that appealed to me was that almost invariably they asked that the people should voluntarily contribute with a willing heart. I think that is a very important attitude for us to take at the present time. The voluntary contribution with a willing heart. And when I say contribution, I don't mean contributions in money particularly, but contributions of substance and service. And you who are immediately in front of us here are men, all who of whom I believe have particular assignments for service in the church. And this is from a talk in a conference report, 1963, A Willing Heart. 
Okay, so in verse 10, Moses was calling forward the wise-hearted among you to come forth and build the tabernacle. And then Moses listed the items that would be built. So he was, like, getting architects, right, first. Like, who are wise and then and then who's able to build, right? So we have willing heart who's donating, then wise heart that can come make it all happen. And... So there's definitely, like, some people might be like, I'm not talented, I can't help. But you can help by donating stuff. And then the other peeps who are talented in building things, they can come and help there. But then, like, we're all going to end up helping in some way. But right now, these are the people that are needed, right, during this process. Now I wonder, like, if they had some kind of prerequisite of, like, you had to have some experience of building stuff in order to be able to help or if you just had to be smart or wise right so I don't know if I would have volunteered myself I would have felt bad that I wouldn't have had anything to offer as far as material wise because I'm pretty sure I would not have had any of those things um and so I would probably want to report for duty for the wise hearted peeps but maybe I still would have to wait I don't know okay um oh and I do remember back in the day there was a time when women who had uh little kids at home couldn't even volunteer to serve in the temple because our kids were so little but they changed that um within the last oh I can't remember five years or so and so uh now they just allow anyone to volunteer and I love that because it gives us the chance to, to choose, you know, whether I want to serve when I have littles in the house or not. Um, that's my choice. And I can get myself a babysitter. I can get grandma, you know, whatever. But at least now it's open for me to do that instead of it being taken from me to do that, if that makes any sense. Okay, verse 20. And all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses and they came everyone whose heart stirred him up and everyone whom his spirit made willing and they brought the lord's offering to the work of the tabernacle of the congregation and for all this service and for the holy garments and they came both men and women as many as were willing hearted and brought bracelets and earrings and rings and tablets and jewels of gold and every man that offered offered an offering of gold unto the lord and every man with whom was found blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat hair and red skins of rams and badger skins brought them every one that did offer an offering of silver and brass brought the lord's offering and every man with whom was found shittim wood for any work of the service brought it and all the women that were wise-hearted did spin with their with their hands and brought that which they had spun both of blue and of purple and of scarlet and of fine linen and all the women whose hearts stirred them up in wisdom spun goat's hair and the rulers brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastplate and spice and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense the children of israel brought a willing offering unto the lord every man and woman whose heart made them willing to bring for all manner of work which the lord had commanded to be made by the hand of moses okay so it says that when they came the scriptures explain it doesn't say that every israelite came but everyone whose heart stirred him up and everyone whom his spirit made willing both men and women as many as were willing hearted this tabernacle was not built by sending strong men to each tent to search for the valuable items needed it was built through faith and a willing 
and willing hearts. These were items of great value, items that they could not easily replace for they were living in the wilderness. This was a true sacrifice and those who gave them would be able to look upon the completed tabernacle and the holy and the glory surrounding it and know that their earrings, their stones, and their leathers helped build that sacred place. They helped build the tabernacle that Solomon's temple and Herod's temple would be modeled after. What great purpose could some earrings possibly have? Or what greater purpose could some earrings possibly have? Uh, literally nothing, you know? And all the women were wise-hearted, did spin their with their hands. Wise-hearted suggests that they had gained the skill necessary for this task. Their, indus- their industrious hands that had previously been trained were now being used for this sacred work. Consider the quote from this quote from President Brigham Young. Notice how he calls on saints in the last days to improve their skills so our hands are worthy to help build Zion. Just as the Israelites in the wilderness were building the tabernacle today, we are Israelites who must build Zion. Ooh, I love this. Okay. Were I residing in a gathering place where I knew I could remain for two years and had $50,000 to spare, I would expend it in the best improvements I could and labor to improve until the last day of my remaining. The Lord is gathering his people, and this is a city for the saints. A great many here are satisfied with a lug hu- with a log hut, some act as though they expected to be driven and others say we will soon go back to the center stake of zion and this house will answer my purpose until till then every let every mechanic and every scientific man of all classes and occupations and every woman improve to the best of their ability faithfully living their religion and we shall be none too well qualified to build up zion when that day come, when that day arrives or when that time arrives it's the same never i never saw a stone mason who thoroughly understood his trade we have not a quarryman who fully understands getting out a rock for the temple walls then how amid such ignorance are you going to properly lay the foundation of the new jerusalem the zion of our god what do you know about building the great temple that is yet to be built upon which the glory of god will rest by day and by night where is the man that knows how to lay the first rock in that temple or to get out the first stick of timber for for it where is the woman that knows how to make a single part of its interior decorations that knowledge is ha- is not now here and unless you wise improve upon your privileges day by day you will not be prepared when called upon to engage to the best advantage of building up zion oh snap end quote <laughs> it didn't say end quote i said end quote after i said oh snap but <laughs> brigham young did not say oh snap anyway um that was from brigham young journal discourses volume 8 discourse 72 that's powerful so basically just go and develop your talents and you know this is like the main reason why mom really wants to enroll the boys in so many things like piano i know you guys don't like it but it's you're going to be grateful for it later and if you're not at least you'll know how to play the piano and at some point you will be grateful maybe after i die who knows but that is a skill that it that can um 
that is like timeless. That's a skill that's timeless. And then, you know, yeah, your sports are great to, to learn how to play and you can bring friends together and play and things like that. And those are great too. And those develop your, your exercise habits and your, um, and it's good for your mental, mental health as well. Um, but I, I want to continue to develop other skills that you guys have like swimming and dance and things that like swimming can help save a life, you know, could save your own child's life. Um, Aunt Christy saved Finn from drowning in the pool. And literally we were in the pool with, with you, but she jumped right in. When you have a fear of like pools or, or water and you're not confident, you can't, make decisions that quickly about trying to help people you know um i'm glad it was at a pool because if it was anywhere else i wouldn't have been able to save finn at all like obviously i didn't even try because i didn't even know he was going under um but that is a life-saving skill that is very important um and it keeps you alive when you're in the water if you know how to swim and then dancing is so good like how many times do we want to go dancing and you know poor dad feels so insecure about the way that he dances even though i think he's doing so good he's the one that feels this insecurity about his abilities to dance whereas if you were to take some dance classes and um get confident in your dancing abilities you would have some skills there so that when you want to take your wife out dancing you are not bashing on yourself the entire time because you actually know how to dance and you've taken some classes. You don't have to be professional. Nobody's trying to make money from dancing, but you can strive to do something really well so that you can learn it and use it in the future. Now, and then we teach you about entrepreneurship and working hard and and making something that people would want. And um, that is a great skill to have so that you can um, provide for your family's wants and needs. And so like those are the reasons it's so that you can develop yourself but then also you'll be able to use these skills to build the kingdom of zion to build the kingdom of the lord and and so many more things you know okay um we are at verse 30 here right and yeah i actually do really like the way that that it's worded to the people that are whose heart made them willing um that's when you feel the spirit when you're feeling the spirit like to do something and you're like getting prompted to to do something um your heart is gonna be like on fire it just gets lit on fire and you're just like whoa i need to volunteer or whoa i need to do this or whoa i'm you know so uh i think it's awesome that they were able to that the that the lord and was wanting the willing heart you know like he's not going to make anybody he's not going to make anybody build the tabernacle he's not going to make people build the temple but he will take offerings from those who are willing who really want to right on of their own free will because that's where the blessings really come and that and that's what's hard because i'll be like giving you guys options like hey do you want to go and help uh so and so and you'll always say like no And then it's like, great, well, I'm going to have to make you now because (laughs) it's good for you, right? And eventually, maybe one day you'll see like, oh, yeah, remember the feelings I got after I helped? Those were good feelings. I want those same feelings again. 
And then the next time I ask you, maybe who knows, one day I'll ask you to do something and you'll be like, sure, I'll help. (laughs) And then it'll be awesome, right? Because you get those feelings of helping um, and the blessings for helping. Okay, verse 30. And Moses said unto the children of Israel, see the Lord hath called by name Bezalel and the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he hath filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship and in and to devise curious works to work in gold and in silver and in brass and the cutting of stones to set them and to in carving of wood to make any manner of cutting work. And he hath put in his heart that he may teach both he and Aholiab, the son of uh, Aesimach, of the tribe of Dan. Them hath he filled with wisdom of heart to work all manner of work of the engraver and of the cunning workman and of the embroider in blue and in purple and scarlet and in fine linen and of the weaver even of them that do any work and of those that devise cunning work so moses was upon the mount for 40 days and 40 nights and there was and there he was instructed the details of the tabernacle for the traveling temple um, the Lord mentioned two Israelites, Bezalel and Aholiab, who had been blessed and prepared with wisdom, understanding, and knowledge to do the work to build the temple. Here in the verses 31 to 35, Moses is relaying to the children of Israel what he had learned from the Lord. Bezalel and Aholiab had been given the spiritual gifts for the important work that was to happen at the moment and t- at that moment in time. We often express spiritual gifts to be things such as the gift of tongues, the gift of to heal, etc. But here we can see that those two men were given gifts in all manner of workmanship. They had been filled with wisdom of heart to work all manner of work of the engraver and the cunning workman and of the embroider. And they were to be master builders of the tabernacle. They were divinely appointed to this task and were given the gifts to be able to fulfill it. Um, I love that because we are all given different gifts and God can give us gifts that are the gifts of tongue and gifts to heal, but he also can give us like gifts like where we use our hands to to create, right? And and anyway, I just really love that. And I see this picture here that they have. And it's like a Holyab of the tribe of Dan is cutting up some stuff. Anyway, um, grandma was given the gift of um, the embroider. And, and I think it's kind of fun that we could call her the embroider. She would be the one to embroider the temple stuff because she was given that gift and she could sew a bunch of stuff also like the veils that they did like the tents on the outside of the tabernacle would be something she could do Hmm. okay we're on exodus chapter 36 says wise-hearted men are chosen to work on the tabernacle moses restrains the people from donating any more material okay so that's kind of fun Okay, the wrong Bezalel, or, <laughs> hello, <laughs> start over. They then wrought Bezalel and Aholiab and every wise-hearted man 
in whom the Lord put wisdom and understanding to know how to work all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary according to all that the Lord hath commanded. And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every wise-hearted man in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, even every one whose heart stirred him up to come unto the work to do it. And they received of Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of the sanctuary to make it withal. And they brought yet unto him free offerings every morning. And all the wise men that wrought all the work of the sanctuary came every man from his work which they made. And they spake unto Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded to make. And Moses gave commandment, and, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the stuff they had was sufficient for all the work to make it, and too much. <laughs> I think that's awesome. That like So many people wanted to give stuff that like they had overflowing abundance of stuff and that's just that's just so awesome okay verse eight and every wise-hearted man among them that wrought the work of the tabernacle made 10 curtains of fine twine linen and blue and purple and scarlet with cherubims of cunning work made he them the length of one curtain was 20 and 8 cubits and the breadth of one curtain four cubits and curtains were all of one size and he complete and he come and he coupled the five curtains on one unto another and the other five curtains he coupled one to another and he made loops of blue on the edge of one of the cur on the edge of one curtain from the selvage in the coupling likewise he made in the uttermost side of another curtain in the coupling of the second 50 loops made he in one curtain and 50 loops made he in the edge of the curtain which was in the coupling of the second the loops held one curtain to get to another buckle or clasp to hold the curtain together so it's just like that's what tatch it tatches were so and he made 50 tatches of gold and coupled the curtains one unto another with the tatches so it became one tabernacle and he made curtains of goat's hair for the tent over the tabernacle 11 curtains he made them the length of one curtain was 30 cubits and four cubits was the breadth of one curtain the 11 curtains were of one size and he coupled five curtains by themselves and six curtains by themselves and he made 50 loops upon the uttermost edge of the curtain and the coupling and 50 loops made he upon the edge of the curtain which coupled coupleth the second okay so it's a lot of details about the tabernacle and how it needs to be built so there's a quote here by brigham young and it's um he says why did moses need such a particular revelation to build a tabernacle because he had never seen one and did not know how to build it without revelation without a pattern um that's journal discourses too and i think it's important to note that like because brigham young or because Moses had never seen one, he needed instruction. And remember that sometimes the Lord gives specific instruction like this, where he needs to give people like step-by-step -step instructions. But then there's other times like when he instructed the brother of Jared to figure out how to light the barges. 
um, he didn't tell him what to do. He just said, go figure something out and come back and let me know what you find out. And so I think it's kind of cool to see that there's multiple ways that the Lord um, can allow us to learn whether he gives us step-by-step instruction or whether we are to receive our own revelation and use our own ideas and experiences to come up with something and then he consecrates it for us. Um, Okay, verse 18. And he made 50 tatches of brass to couple the tent together that it might be one and he made a covering for the tent of rams skins dyed red and a covering of badger skins above that um so this was like it almost felt like a cozy thing that they used over the the holy of holies area it's like an extra additional covering on the top so we think that there was like walls but then like on top it was like the fabric and i don't know it's like that's what was that's what we were doing we were looking at some of the tabernacle the way it was built in the in bountiful and it just looked really cool and so but you know they're just trying to make a replica as best as they can um but it's not like going to be exact still right and so uh, verse 20 and he made boards for the tabernacle of the shittim wood of shittim wood standing up and those would those were like the walls and the length of the board was 10 cubits and the breadth of the board one cubit and a half the board had two tent two tenons equally distant one from another thus did he make for all the boards of the tabernacle and he made boards for the tabernacle 20 boards for the south side southward and 40 sockets of silver he made under the 20 boards two sockets under one board for his two tenons and two sockets under another board for his two tenons and for the other side of the tabernacle which is toward the north center or north corner he made 20 boards and there 40 sockets of silver two sockets under one board and two sockets under another board and for the sides of the tabernacle westward he made six boards and two boards made he for the corners of the tabernacle in two sides and they were coupled beneath and coupled together at the head thereof to one ring thus he did to both of them in both the corners and there were eight boards and their sockets were 16 sockets of silver under every board two sockets so that seems like really specific and if you saw there's like a a lot of drawings online just like of how people interpret what it might have looked like um based on the instructions here in the scriptures so you can go look that up and then verse 31 and he made bars of shittim wood five for the boards of the one side of the tabernacle and five bars for the boards of the other side of the tabernacle and five bars for the boards of the tabernacle for the sides westward and he made middle bar to shoot through the boards from one end to the other um i think when they talk about like holes and poles it is usually like to help them carry things because they had to make it a traveling tabernacle and verse 34 and he overlaid the boards with gold and made their rings of gold to be breath to be places for the bars and overlaid the bars with gold okay so the this part right here is pretty cool because the the gold walls that they built were like it looked really cool so when we closed the when we went to the tabernacle the 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 entrance part um had like the the candle it's like a menorah and the fire that that burned there was like reflecting off all the gold on the inside and obviously like we 
like whoever built it probably used like spray paint gold it wasn't real gold but it was it would be so cool to picture like the fire reflecting off the gold and like it just being like a really cool place to be there and so there's like lots of gold when you go into the temples there's a ton of gold in the temples not as much as this room like not full-on gold walls but there's still a lot of gold um but they reserve like the best of the best stuff for the celestial room and in the celestial room that's like the holy of holies in in the tabernacle so um anyway it's kind of awesome to like to see the similarities um so the there's a quote here from the come follow me manual it says some aspects of israel's tabernacle may sound familiar to you step especially if you have been in the temple to receive your own ordinances or like if you've gone to like uh open house right like the tabernacle's most holy place the temple's celestial room represents the presence of god to enter we must first be washed and anointed we bear we wear sacred clothing we pray to an altar at an altar from which prayers ascend to god and we finally pass through a veil into god's presence and that is found in the come follow me manual individuals and families the tabernacle uh, and sacrifice okay verse 35 and he made a veil of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen with cherubims made he it of cunning work and he made thereunto four pillars of shittim wood and overlaid them with gold their hooks were of gold and he cast for them four sockets of silver and he made an hanging for the tabernacle door of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen of needlework and the five pillars of it with their hooks and he overlaid their chapter their chapters and their fillets with gold but their five sockets were of brass okay so now we have somebody just playing basketball and super not cool but i gotta go pick up flora anyways so i will be picking this up a little bit later but we just finished for uh exodus chapter 36 and the last quote that i'm going to read is if um is from the old institute student manual it says there are three major divisions or areas in the tabernacle the outer courtyard the first room of the tabernacle proper or holy place and their inner room or holy of holies in modern temples three levels of life are also depicted by rooms in the temple the world the the celestial room the terrestrial room and the celestial room so that's found in chapter 13. all right here we go we are now in exodus chapter 37 and we are at home today because flora is sick so poor miss she was having throw-ups last night and having a fever yesterday after her super good nap so that was super sad but she's sleeping now so hopefully that'll be good and she'll get her energy back i'm hoping it's just like a tooth thing um but who knows we're praying okay Okay, Exodus chapter 37. Bezalel makes the ark and mercy seat and the cherubims. He makes the table, the vessels, the candlestick, the incense altar, the holy anointing oil, and the sweet incense. This man is talented and can do a lot of things and was blessed to do them. Because remember the Lord said he he was able to do them. Okay, and here it is. The ark of the covenant is what we are talking about. So, the, And Bezalel 
made the ark of shittim wood, who two cubits and a half was the length of it, and a cubit and a half the breadth of it, and a cubit and a half the height of it. And he overlaid it with pure gold without the within and without, and made a crown of gold to it round about. And he cast for it four rings of gold to be set by the four corners of it, even two rings upon one side of it and two rings upon the other side of it. Here's what's funny. Like, you know, the Lord's giving them instructions to put rings and things, but he hasn't told them why he needs them to do that. But it's only until like after you see it all done that you're like, oh, now I know why the rings go in there. Right. Or I mean, maybe they knew why, but I would have been like, why does this thing have so many rings? What's what's up with these rings, you know? <laughs> but there it is. Like, it um, allowed them to put poles through those rings so that the guys could carry it. But, I mean, I guess Egyptians had them making all kinds of things like that. So they probably were familiar with what the rings were needed for. Um, but I'm not because I, I don't carry things that way. And so for me, I would have been asking all kinds of questions like, what is this? And why? Why do we need this? And isn't that funny? Like sometimes we ask why before we see the big picture, before we see the whole thing or before we even receive instructions for the whole thing, right? Like the Lord's giving instructions and I would have butted in like, um, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why do we need this? And why does it need to have gold? Or why does it... Why are we doing it with walls of gold? And I thought we were doing fabric. And wait, what? what's up with these rings? How come we need so many of those? And, you know, like I would have just had so many questions. But I love that that there's no like interrupting the Lord when he's talking. <laughs> and isn't that funny that that happens in real life for us too? You know, like we're always trying to interrupt the Lord when he's trying to tell us um, or give us revelation. We're always trying to interrupt him with either our own questions or interrupt him like, oh, sorry, we don't have time for you anymore. So got to go. And then, you know, we wonder why we don't understand some of our revelations, right? We didn't really sit with him long enough for him to tell us all of it. Um, okay. So then let's see. Verse four. And he cast it four rings of gold to be set by the four corners of it, even two rings upon the one side of it and two rings upon the other side of it. And he made staves of shittim wood and overlaid them with gold. And he put the staves into the rings by the sides of the ark to bear the ark. See, we were going to get the information. We just had to wait a little bit longer. And he made the mercy seat of pure gold two cubits and a half was the length thereof and one cubit and a half the breadth thereof and he made two cherubims of gold beaten beaten out of one piece made he them on the two ends of the mercy seat one cherub on one end on the on this side and and another cherub on the other end on that side, out of the mercy seat, made he the cherubims on the two ends thereof. And the cherubims spread out their wings on high and covered with their wings over the mercy seat, with their faces one to another, even to the mercy seat word were the faces of the cherubims. Okay, so this is the Ark of the Covenant that they were building, right? And you can look up pictures because it's pretty cool. Um, since we got to go to that bountiful tabernacle, um, it was where they created that replica of the Moses time of the tab uh, Moses's tabernacle time. It was pretty awesome to see what 
it could have looked like in real life, you know? And so it was just, it was just really cool. Okay. Um, it says here some commentary. Bezalel himself used this special gift to make the Ark of the Covenant, which was the only thing in the Holy of Holies. The Ark was a wooden chest covered in gold and had rings along the side with staves like poles inserted through them. This made it possible to carry the Ark as they traveled through the wilderness. The chest had a lid upon it known as the mercy seat. And upon the mercy seat were two cherubims made of gold. And it's funny because you can't, you don't understand all this stuff until you see one and then you're like, oh, that's what they're talking about. I think I'm more of a visual learner. Um, And then the mercy seat symbolizing that angels guard the presence of God. The wings upon the angels are symbolic of the power these beings had uh, or these beings hold. As Brigham Young taught, uh, quote, let me give you a definition in brief. Your endowment is to receive all those ordinances in the house of the Lord, which are necessary for you after you have departed this life to enable you to walk back to the presence of the father, passing the angels who stand as sentinels, being enabled to give them the key words, the signs and tokens pertaining to the holy priesthood and gain your eternal exaltation in spite of earth and hell. End quote. Brigham Young discourses of Brigham Young, page 416. Okay, and then let's see, the table, we're going to read in verse 10. And he made the table of shittim wood. Two cubits was the length thereof, and a cubit, the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half, the height thereof. And he overlaid it with pure gold and made there thereunto a crown of gold around about. Also, he made thereunto a border of, the, of a hand bread, breath round about and made a crown of gold for the border thereof round about and he cast for it four rings of gold and put the rings upon the four corners that were in the four feet thereof over against the border were the rings the places for the staves to bear the table and he made the staves of shittim wood and overlaid them with gold to bear the table and he made the vessels which were upon the table his dishes and his spoons and his bowels and his covers to cover with all of pure gold Okay, so then this was the table, and this was known as the table of shoe bread. It was a small wooden table there, about three feet long and 18 inches wide. It was overlaid with gold and a crown around the edge of the table like other items in the tabernacle. It was made to be portable with the rings and staves built into the table design. Upon the table, 12 loaves of shoe bread would be laid. Shoe bread means... Oof, excuse me. Shoe bread means the bread of the presence or bread of faces, meaning that it was the bread laid before the face of the Lord. Each bread was a large loaf that weighed about 10 pounds. Wow. The bread was placed there on on the Sabbath and stacked into two piles. Then on the next Sabbath, the bread would be replaced with fresh bread while the priests ate the week old bread and whatever was not eaten was to be burned. Many believe that there was also wine placed upon the table in spoons or what may believe many believe should re should read vessels remember that this table stood in the holy place which was beyond the outer courtyard it was beyond the layer or basin or water signifying repentance and baptism once the priests washed in their lower and in, in the laver they could progress into the holy place the holy place symbolized living a spiritual life and within this room were symbols of how to achieve this the table of shewbread symbolized the sacrament the priests on behalf of israel would consume the loaves dude so if you 
had problems with, you know, eating a bunch of carbs. That would that would have been a problem for you. But <laughs> also, if you love bread, this would have been the best calling. You know what I mean? <laughs> this would have been like my favorite calling. Um, back then, they didn't have real gluten, you know, because obviously their bread was flat. Um, and so it wasn't, it wasn't that bad. Okay. Um, let's see. We're on verse 17. And he made the candlestick of pure gold of beaten work made he the candlestick, his shaft and his branch, his boughs, his knops and his flowers were of the same and six branches going out of the sides thereof, three branches of the candlestick out of the one side thereof and three branches of the candlestick out of the other side thereof, three bowls made after the fashion of almonds in one branch to a knop and a flower and three bowls made like almonds in another branch, a knop and a flower. Or so throughout the six branches going out of the candlestick. And in the candlestick were four bowls made like almonds, his not his knops and his flowers, and a knop under two branches of the same, and a knop under two branches of the same, and a knop under two branches of the same, according to the six branches going out of it. So the candlestick, the light within the tabernacle was provided by the golden candlestick, also known as the menorah. He that's what I called it. The candlestick was large and made of pure gold. It was placed on the south wall, which would have given, which would have been to the left when you entered the holy place. The candlestick did not hold candles, but had seven almond-shaped bowls, one of each, one on each branch. Each bowl would hold olive oil, and a wick would be partly, partially submerged into the oil, and the wick would then be lit. The Hebrew in Hebrew, the number seven signifies perfection or being whole. Therefore, the candlestick representing the perfect light, meaning the light of Christ or the Holy Ghost. Okay, verse twenty-two. The knops and their branches were of the same. All of it was one beaten work of pure gold. And he made his seven lamps and his snuffers and his snuff dishes of pure gold of a talent of pure gold made he and all the vessels thereof and he made the incense altar of shittim wood the length of it was a cubit and the breadth of it was a cubit it was four square and two cubits was the height of it the horns thereof were of the same and he overlaid overlaid it with pure gold both the top of it and the sides thereof round about and the horn the horns of it also he made unto it a crown of gold round about and he made two rings of gold for it under the crown thereof by the two corners of it upon the two sides thereof to be places for the staves to bear it withal and he made the staves of shittim wood and overlaid them with gold and he made them and he made the holy anointing oil and the pure incense of sweet spices according to the work of the apothecary Okay, so the altar of incense just before the veil separating the Holy of Holies from the holy place stood the altar of incense. It was about three feet high and one and a half feet square. Here the priests would stand at the altar, burn incense, and pray on behalf of the Israelites. The smoke from the incense would rise up, symbolic of the prayer ascending to God. 
It was at the altar of incense that Zechariah prayed when the angel Gabriel appeared to him. Zechariah was a temple priest who had been chosen to pray on behalf of Israel that day. It was near the angels embroidered upon the veil where Gabriel appeared and delivered his message. Okay, we are reading Exodus chapter 38. Bezalel and others make the altar of burnt offerings and all things pertaining to the tabernacle. Offerings are made by... Oh, oh, excuse me. <laughs> 603,500 men. Or 550 men. So, that is a lot of burnt offerings. And when I was walking around in the Bountiful Tabernacle, it was so cool to see that the offering altar was, like, pretty huge. Like, it looked like this big box. And you just, I guess put your animal in there um you probably didn't want everyone to go at the same time and probably the appointment schedule that they currently have now going on in the temple is what they needed back then (laughs) because that would be a lot of people (laughs) okay so it says and he made the altar of burnt offerings of shittim wood five cubits was the length thereof and five cubits the breadth thereof and it was four square and three cubits the height thereof so um I don't know. Again, I don't know if it was for sure the same size that I saw at in Bountiful, but it looked pretty huge. (sighs) And he made the horns thereof on the four corners of it. The horns thereof were of the same and he overlaid it with brass. And he made all the vessels of the altar, the the pots and the shovels and the basins and the flesh hooks and the pots, the fire pans, all the vessels thereof made he of brass. And he, well, and that'd be good because if you made it out of wood, it would get all stained up and look disgusting. (laughs) And he cast four rings for the four ends of the grate of brass to be place, to be places for the staves. And he made the staves of shittim wood and overlaid them with brass and put and he put the staves into the rings on the sides of the altar to bear it withal he made the altar hollow with boards and he made let's see so um some commentary the altar of burnt offerings in the outer courtyard was the altar of burnt offerings also called the altar of sacrifice and the bronze altar the altar was seven and a half feet square and overlaid with brass okay so that's the actual size i'm pretty sure that was the size that i saw at bountiful so they made that um to scale in real life on the corners of the altar were the four horns (sighs) and blood would be placed upon the horns at the time of the sacrifice the horn was a symbol of victory and of being rescued oh that's kind of cool upon this altar of the sacrifices would be burnt in the likeness of the savior whose blood would one day be shed for all mankind. Um, maybe I mentioned this and I can't remember, but I love, there's the podcast, um, the talking scriptures podcast talked about how the burnt offering represented two things. One, it represented Jesus Christ and his suffering for us because he is the Lamb of God and God gave him um, and he sacrificed himself for us. So that, so he represents, so the the Lamb or the sacrifice that we brought, oh, excuse me, back in the day was 
representative of Jesus Christ. But then the other sacrifice was, uh, or but then it also represented our sacrifice of sacrificing the animal within us and the animal being our natural man or natural woman and any, you know, weaknesses, struggles, things that we need to give up in order to become a holier person, in order to become a better self, in order for us to become um, holy through Christ, in order for us to be perfected through him. And so it was just these two things that it represented. And I never really thought of it that way. Um, but I, re- I really like... I really like that symbolism. And... I can tell you that I would not have been able to uh, go through with it, right? Um, because it would have been so hard. And and one of the guys on the podcast talks about how he would, how he went through this activity and some and kind of talked to his daughter about how he would have asked her to be the one to kill the animal, but it would have been really hard for her. Her being, you know, like a mother a nurturer. And I mean, she's like 17, so she's not a mother right now, but you know, because she, she is a mother, uh, and is blessed with, with those attributes that womanhood comes with. And anyway, the fact that, um, it would be really hard for her to actually do that, uh, was, something that I was thinking about with Flora too, like there is no way she would ever kill anything. Like, do you see how much she loves her bunny? If she knew there were bunnies in real life, she would adore it. And (laughs) she is going to love all things animals. And I love all things animals. And there's no way. And I know Sister Slade over here, she had like this deer that was like crippled and she had to call somebody and see if they could help the deer but they couldn't help the deer and they were going to kill it and she was like you will not kill it on my property (laughs) and it's just something I don't know I don't know how many women could actually go through with uh with doing the whole burnt offering and so for for us I feel like it would have been really hard um to do because a yeah we are picturing the savior and his sacrifice for us and and we want to get rid of our weaknesses but you know we'll just keep them if we have to kill the animal you know and so we just have like that i don't know i don't know what to call it and i know that some men have that too you know i don't think our boys would be able to kill an animal um and so like just thinking of that shows me how much these people were willing to um dedicate their lives to the lord like these people weren't killing these animals to eat them you know i think it's different when when you're starving when you are trying to feed your family and you need to kill an animal to 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 eat it i think it's different because you're really trying to uh sustain life and yeah that's what you know men have to do when they kill animals it's like they're killing them because they're gonna go eat them now granted there are certain men who like to just do that or women who like to do that because they want to and i don't know how they can do that but 
that's not what I'm talking about here. And so it's just a, so symbolic to me of, of their commitment to the Lord. And sometimes we, we think so harshly of those poor Israelites. Like, how dare they, you know, worship an idol? Or how dare they do these, um, not be obedient to the Lord? And how dare they, like, you know, they saw Moses and everything, and and they saw all these miracles, and the water parted and everything, and they walked on dry ground. And you think all these things. I should not have done my makeup. Um, And... You think, how dare they, you know, but we forget that they were in bondage. They were in darkness. They did not have the light like we do now. And they didn't know, um, they didn't know how to, uh, do certain things and how to overcome, uh, the adversary in so many ways. And when you're living in that kind of slavery, there's gotta be all kinds of mental health issues that you have to go through and to be able to get out of that, to heal yourself. And like, I can't even imagine what that would be like to, to be in that kind of bondage and then be expected to be so obedient to a God who also wants to give us our freedom. I think that's, I think that's what it is. You know, I think that's, that's our struggle. You know, now that we're free, how can we be free, but yet dedicate our lives to the Lord? And it's because of that freedom that we just feel like we can do anything, right? We we can do anything, but we forget that it's through the Lord that we can do anything. And with the Lord, we can do anything. And, and so, um, me just thinking back on, on them being willing to do these sacrifices, those 600,000 met like people just so crazy to me that they had that many sacrifices. Um, and to have to have that conversation with your kids about like, okay, we're going to give up, we're going to give up Billy. Remember the goat we've been raising and he's so cute and you know, like we're going to have to give him up and how that would have been a hard conversation and how, how many, how many families were willing to, to do that. And I know I, I would not be able to do it and and so, you know, let's try and think kindly of those Israelites. Think of their hearts, you know, their tender hearts. And think, I mean, they're strong people, don't get me wrong. Obviously, um, they were the ones who built Egypt. But the tender hearts, because, because now they're trying to listen and follow a God who loves them and they don't understand what love means you know like anyway I just I just want to cut them some slack you know because they were amazing and they traveled with a temple that like that looks so painful like I don't even know who would have carried that 
looks so big and when we walked in it it was huge i don't know if they made that to scale either maybe they did and because you know we know what how to convert qubits and things like that but anyway it's just mind-blowing how a people who didn't know him wanted to get to know him and even though they would go back and forth between being obedient and not being obedient and being obedient and not being obedient. They still progressed. You know, it took them a while. Sometimes it takes me a while and I go in circles and I don't heed those promptings that I know I need to and I don't progress the way I want to and I feel like I'm just going in a circle. But the Lord is still there. He's still there in our midst. And still wants us and still beckons us and still calls us. We went to, on a date night and we got to see the life of Christ in statue in Thanksgiving Point. I want to go there again because it was so cool. But one of the statues, I wanted to spend all day there, but I needed to not be there the whole time because I knew it was like a date and we were there late and I couldn't walk around as calmly and peacefully as I would like to. So I'm going to go do that another date. But like, I just wanted to cry. Just sit there and cry because there was this statue of Christ with the chickens. And I just... The love and the patience that he shows us is just so humbling to think about. And because of that, like, I want to progress even faster. (laughs) Anyway, um, I got to (laughs) pause. See, I knew that these were going to be my favorite chapters to cover the building of the temple and i should say that like when i was in front of the altar um in bountiful that i like was just crying (laughs) it was so hard to keep the tears in but like that's where i felt it right there and i knew it was a holy space you know or or that it symbolized a really holy place. You know, the Holy of Holies is where you can where you can be in the presence of God, right? But the process of getting there is holy also. Okay. I don't even know where I'm at. Okay, verse 8. Wow. And he made the labor of brass and the foot of it of brass of the looking glasses of the women assembling, which assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he made the court on the south side southward. The hangings of the court were of fine twined linen and hundred cubits. Their pillars were twenty and their brazen sockets twenty and the hooks of the pillars and their fillets were of silver and for the north side the hangings were on hundred cubits their pillars were 20 and their sockets of brass 20 and hooks of pillars 
in their fillets of silver. I don't think anybody's ever cried this much reading these scriptures. <laughs> and I thought it was just going to be easy to read these because it was just going to be technical stuff. <laughs> And for the west side were hangings of 50 cubits, their pillars 10, and their sockets 10, and the hooks of the pillars, and their fillets of silver. So the there was the labor, and then the courtyard, court, the hangings around the courtyard. Okay, the large area surrounding the tent was known as the outer courtyard. Surrounding the courtyard were hangings made of fine twine linen hanging upon pillars. These hangings formed their outer walls of the courtyard. Uh, any Israelite offering a sacrifice could come into the courtyard, but only the priests could enter the tent. Dude, if I would go through, if I went to that tabernacle three to four times a week, that would have been ridiculous. I would have had to kill so many animals, which also means I would have had to have a lot of animals, which means I would have had to have a farm and can I just tell you, you guys know me, and there's no way I could have had a farm. I could barely keep a garden alive. It's a good thing I had the boys helping me because, and dad, <laughs> because there is no way that mom would ever have a full-on farm. <laughs> but I would have wanted to go to the temple every day. <laughs> so I don't know. I might have looked at those lambs and maybe had a different relationship with them maybe i wouldn't have called them billy and i would have had to call them zero one zero zero two zero zero three zero zero four so that i wouldn't have a relationship with them but it would be really hard <laughs> of course because the kids would actually want to name them um okay and then let's see verse 13 And for the east side, eastward, 50 cubits, the hangings of the one side of the gate were 50, 15 cubits, their pillars three and their sockets three. And for the other side of the court gate, on this hand and that hand were hangings of 15 cubits, their pillars three and their sockets three. And the hangings of the court roundabout were of fine twined linen. And the sockets for the pillars were of brass, the, the hooks of pillar of the pillars of their and their fillets of silver and the overlaying of their shepherds of silver and all the pillars of the court were filleted filleted with silver yes filleted with silver and the hanging for the gate of the court was needlework of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen and tw 20 cubits was the length and height of the breadth was five cubits answerable to the hangings of the court Okay, so basically it was just like huge draperies. I would call it, for dad, pipe and drape. <laughs> they had to create a bunch. It was pipe and drape around the whole uh, area so that people could come in and, and give their sacrifices there. Um, and then let's see. Now where am I at? Verse 20? No. Verse 18. Okay, and the hanging for the gate for the gate of the court was needle. Oh, I already read that. Okay, 20. And the pins of the tabernacle and 
of the court roundabout were of brass. This is the sum of the tabernacle, even of the tabernacle of testimony, as it was counted according to the commandment of Moses for the service of the Levites by the hand of Ithamar, son of Aaron, and the priests. And Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, and of the tribe of Judah, made all the Lord commanded made all that the Lord commanded Moses. And with him was Aholiab, son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan, an engraver and a cunning workman and an embroiderer in blue and in purple and in scarlet and fine linen. And Okay, for can I just say that I love that they described that he could embroider specific colors. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's like super unique to be able to embroider specific colors because he was talented in embroidering blue and in purple and in scarlet and fine linen. So that just kind of goes to show me that we can be more specific about our talent. Sometimes we like to overgeneralize our talent. Like what do you design, you know? Because uh, sometimes I'm just like, I'll tell people like, I just, I design things on the computer. I'm a graphic designer and that's it, you know, but like, that's not fancy. That's not, I'm not being specific. I'm not talking about how much I embroider blue and purple and scarlet, right? Do we need to be more specific about our talents? Are we diminishing our talents in front of others? Are we putting ourselves down because we're trying to tell others? Are we making ourselves small because we are ashamed of our talents? Are we making ourselves small because we don't want to glorify God? That is not what God wants us to do. He does not want us to play small. He wants us to glorify him in all of the things that he's given us. And he wants us to answer... For the hope that is in us, to to give the answer that is Christ for the hope that is in us. The hope that is in us is Christ, right? He wants us to talk about him. And how else can we do that if we don't, if we just play small, our talents? Oh, I just, you know, almost like when somebody asks you what you do, you almost try to hide under some kind of a rock. Like, where's the thing that I can hide under? I design stuff on the computer. It's fine. It's no big deal. <laughs> You know, like, why can't I say that I love to design Relief Society invitations and love to design things that bring people closer to Christ and that bring people together and I help gather people using the beautiful designs that the Lord helps me design on my computer. What? Like, that is so much better. Like, don't you want to order something from me now after I said that? So much better than when I was like, I just designed stuff on the computer. You should see, I'm like trying to hunch myself over. (laughs) We need to be more bold about those gifts that God has given us, about what we are capable of doing with those gifts and seeing those small things that we do, even when people ask us, (laughs) actually, especially when people ask us. Um, that's going to be my new thing. I'm going to be trying to be so, I'm going to own it so much more than not. Right. Like that, that would be so much better. Like, oh, anyway, I get fired up 
about sharing talents and skills and gifts that when it comes to sharing my own, I'm like sometimes a little bit afraid, but then I realize that what I'm doing is playing small. So then I try to play big again. (laughs) It's a cycle. It might take me 40 years. Oh, wait, I'm 42. It might take me longer. (laughs) Okay. Um, Verse 22. And Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, made all that the Lord commanded Moses. Um, Let me see. Verse 23. Okay. And with him was Aholiab, son of... Oh, sorry. I did just read that. Messed up, guys. Okay, so some commentary. These verses give continued explanation of what the hangings were, like the surrounding that surrounded the tabernacle, and we learn that the hangings were for the gate or the entrance into the courtyard, which was made with specific blue, purple, and scarlet. Now, so the the whole surrounding seemed like it was white, but then where you entered was those colors and those colors represented different things. Um, there was the people who were at the missionaries who were at that tabernacle. They said that the red could signify the blood that we sacrificed or the blood that the savior sacrificed for us. The blue, um, and the purple sacrificed royalty. Blue was, um, could also sac- could also represent, the the sky and how um Jesus Christ came from heaven and then the purple was representative of the royalty that came from heaven that he is a god that he's the king of kings and so the i think that was kind of cool that they said that and then like that was just where you passed through, like to go in. You couldn't just go in through the side. Um, probably because everything would be like tied down, right? Like as if they were walls, but they were walls of fabric, which I think is kind of cool. Like that's how you would have to carry it because there's no other way. It would have been too heavy. Oh, excuse me. Um. Okay. Um. And that's why I said it's pipe and drape because um, you can create walls if you've ever been to like a conference center or an event um, that dad's, um, been able to stream or even any event that you've been to, um, they create walls with pipes. Okay. And then the drapes that they put on top. Okay. So you could create whatever you want walls, wherever you wanted. Cause as long as the pipe could go there, the wall could be created. Um, and so it is kind of cool to think of it in that way. And then it says in verse 21, talk about it it speaks of the tabernacle of the testimony which and this was um what was being built under the supervision of two chief builders so they could receive the sacred instruction needed to learn how to enter back into the presence of god president russell m nelson gave a talk in october 2021 general conference called temple and our the temple and your spiritual foundation 
In that talk, President Nelson said, temple ordinances and covenants are are ancient. The Lord instructed Adam and Eve to pray, make covenants, and offer sacrifices. Indeed, whenever the Lord has had a people on the earth who will obey his word, they have been commanded to build temples. The standard works are are replete with references to temple teachings, clothing, language, and more. End quote. President Russell M. Nelson, remember, remember October 2021. Okay, and I I love this picture. It says the tabernacle in the wilderness from popular graphic arts. Go look it up. That one's kind of cool. It kind of made it look like it was super fancy, which it's po- completely possible that it was. Okay, all the verse twenty four. All the gold that was occupied for the work and all the work of the holy place, even the gold of offering was 20 and 9 talents and 730 shekels, shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary. And the silver of them that were numbered of the congregation was 100 talents and 1,703 score and 15 shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary. <sighs> That's a lot of um, money that I have no idea what, the equivalent would be okay a becca for every man that is half a shekel after the shekel of the sanctuary for every one that went to be numbered from 20 years old and upward for six hundred thousand and three thousand and five hundred and fifty men so that was how many men came or how many people came remember says or how many sacrifices six hundred thousand and three thousand and 550 men maybe it was all men maybe it was some women um also because remember when the way that they used to write was they would just say men even though it was humans is what they were talking about but let's be honest men is a shorter word word than human and sometimes when you're writing a lot of words you're trying to abbreviate things and make them shorter so it's possible that that's what it was um, because it did say that anybody that had a sacrifice could come into that area to make a sacrifice. And I'm a woman and I would not have wanted to do it with an animal, but I maybe would have made that effort to do it so that I could go to the temple because I love it so much. So I'm guessing that they didn't deny women the entrance to the temple, you know? Okay. Um, and of the hundred talents of silver were cast the sockets of the sanctuary and the sockets of the veil and hundred sockets of the hundred talents, a talent for a socket. And of the thousand seven hundred seventy and five shekels, he made hooks for the pillars and overlaid their chapters and fillet, filleted them. Dude, I know I'm butchering these words. <laughs> and the brass of the offering was 70 talents and 2,400 shekels. I don't even know what to use as my excuse for not being able to pronounce those. Um, Cause I went to school <laughs> just like everybody else. <laughs> um, for all my homeschooling mamas out there <laughs> in our family, it's probably cause I didn't get homeschooled. It's probably what it was. We can blame that. <laughs> and 
number 30. And therewith he made the sockets to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and the brazen brazen altar and the brazen grate for it and all the vessels of the altar and the sockets of the court round about and the sockets of the court gate and all the pins of the tabernacle and all the pins of the court round about. Okay. It's not for my mom's lack of trying. Let's be honest. My mom had me record myself reading <laughs> and she would listen to it on the tape player at work. Now, sometimes I fell asleep <laughs> and she'd have to fast forward through my sleepy parts, but she still tried. And I've had Finn do the same thing. And so he knows what that's like. Well, he doesn't fall asleep while reading, but I do, man. And it's easier to to replace the text that I, or replace the recording that I'm doing now than it was back in the day when I would fall asleep. I would fall asleep and I'd like press record and then like, you know, I'd be reading and then I'd fall asleep and then I'd wake up and be like, oh no, how long was I sleeping for? And then I'd rewind and have to start over. (laughs) Anyways. Okay. Um, we're now section 39. I'm going to go see what, how Flora's doing. Okay, here we go. Section 39 of Exodus and the summary says, holy garments are made for Aaron and the priests. The breastplate is made. The tabernacle of the congregation is finished. Moses blesses the people. Oh, this is such good news. I actually went to the tabernacle today. Actually, the temple, which is not a tabernacle because it's not traveling. But it is, I went to the Provo City Center Temple and I just loved it. I just loved it. I noticed certain things. Ooh, excuse me from reading these chapters in fact i f- i feel like reading these chapters would be like a good temple preparation um like review before you go to the temple because you'll see a lot of symbolism some of the curtains that they made i feel like there's veils and curtains in the temple and i'm like thinking oh that's so cool that they like kind of incorporated some a little bit of that into our modern temples to kind of get that kind of give like a shout out to the old timey tabernacle you know but or I should say the original tabernacle that instead of old timey because that makes it sound not as good but original you know uh the OG anyway so so I thought that was kind of cool um okay so here we go verse one and the and of the blue and purple and scarlet, they made cloth, clothes of service to do service in the holy place and made the holy garments for Aaron as the Lord commanded Moses. Also, we have, we wear temple clothes when we go in there. So like we change the clothes that we have uh, um, from the s- street clothes to uh, white clothing. So that's something. We also have uh, separate temple clothing to put on when we go through a session, which, uh, represents all kinds of, uh, covenants and promises that the Lord makes with us. And anyway, it's kind of cool. The, and it, the, we're going to talk about the ephod here is what they called it back then says, and he made the ephod of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet, and fine twine linen. And they did beat the gold into the plate, the into thin plates, and cut it into wires to work it in the blue, and in the purple, and in the scarlet, and in the fine linen with cunning work. They made shoulder pieces for it to cup to couple it together. Oh, excuse me. By the two edges was it coupled together, and the curious girdle of this of his ephod. 
that was upon it was of the same, according to the work thereof, of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet, and fine twine linen, as the Lord commanded Moses. And they wrought onyx stones enclosed in ouches of gold, graven as signets, signets are graven with the names of the children of Israel. And he put them on the shoulders of the ephod, that they should be stones for a memorial to the children of Israel, as the Lord commanded Moses. Okay, so um, there's a picture of the ephod here, and they got this replica made at BYU, and it's actually kind of cool. In fact, it looks very similar to the one I saw in the tabernacle. Ooh, excuse me, when we went to look or when we went to walk through in Bountiful. Um, okay, so this is the sacred and holy clothing. And the next thing that needed to be made was the sacred clothing for those who served within the tabernacle. So the priests and the high priests noticed notice in verse one that they are called clothes cloths of service. And in Matthew Henry Bible commentary, he says, those that wear robes of honor must look upon them as clothes of service for from those upon whom honor is put service is expected. It is said of those that are arrayed in white robes that they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. I love that. Um, such good imagery. And I love that they're called robes or clothes, clothes of service. Um, because it is not a fancy clothing that we wear for like relaxing and, you know, doing nothing, but it's because we're in the service of God. And there's this Old Testament Institute manual quote also. It says, when the children of Israel for forfeited their right to the higher priesthood and its associated blessings and responsibilities, the Lord established the Levitical priesthood among them. Through this order of the priesthood, Israel enjoyed the principles of the preparatory gospel, the pattern for the official clothing of the high priest or presiding head of the Aaronic priesthood, not the Melchizedek priesthood office of high priest, was given by revelation and had symbolic as well as practical significance. And the ephod, the first piece of sacred, oh, that, end quote, sorry. Um, the ephod, the first piece of sacred clothing mentioned is the ephod, it was a type of apron only worn by the high priests of the Aaronic priesthood. Okay, and so this is this quote that I'm going to read here is by Richard Cowan from December 1973 Enzyme. The ephod worn over a blue robe <sighs> was made of blue, purple, and scarlet material with designs of gold thread skillfully woven into the fabric. This garment was fastened at each shoulder and had an in intricately woven band with which it could be fastened around the waist in gold settings on each shoulder were onyx stones engraved with the names of the 12 sons of Israel as a memorial as the priests served before the Lord fastened to the ephod was a breastplate into which the Urim and Thummim could be placed the exact function of the ephod is not known. As President Joseph Fielding Smith observed, information concerning these ancient ordinances was never recorded in any detail because such ordinances are sacred and not for the world, end quote. So there you have it. <laughs> Certain things are just not for the world. In this picture, when you see it, it kind of does look like armor because um, you have the breastplate. And I love that the 
the names of the 12 sons of Israel are made, are engraved in stones and those are put on your chest. And it's almost like creating like this unity between, and this is just symbol, like symbolic things that we can think about, right? Um, it can create a unity between all of the people and together we're able to fight off the adversary. And I, I like that, that visual representation. Um, something else that could be uh, considered symbolic um, was the things that were placed on the shoulders. And this was something that they, the missionaries did mention. They said that putting things on shoulder pieces could have signified something like we're carrying those uh, the weight of those people or our burdens or things like that. Um, because it says they made shoulder pieces for it to couple it together. Um, and the onyx stones were engraved, but then also like the shoulder pieces helped to hold up you know, the breastplate that has all the names of the children of Israel on it also. So, so anyway, it's just like, kind of just goes to show that we are taking the burden of all of the people and the, the burden, the responsibility, things that are on our shoulders, you know, of, uniting the 12 tribes and I don't know I think that's kind of cool um and then the fact that you know you had to tie it up on your waist it's just kind of if you've worn one of those hiking backpacks um before you know that the backpack can get super heavy and so they put like a lot of padding on the shoulders and then they they even have a chest strap and they have a waist strap and so if we think about this ephod representing um maybe the 12 tribes of israel and us carrying the weight of the 12 tribes there it can also signify the strength that we can have to carry our burdens when we work together um but then also and because we are serving the lord in his house uh, it just kind of goes to show you, like, at least for me, like, that together we can make, I don't know, I'm trying to put this into words, but, like, together we can lift each other, and together we can serve the Lord, and together we can progress towards eternal life, towards exaltation, and but only together, right? Like it doesn't look like, like this does not look like it would be something you do alone. But because we're together then, and it looks like a breastplate to me, it like one of those armor things, it also to me represents like together, that's how we're going to overcome the adversary um, by maybe taking the words of the prophets and... Just like, 
I don't know. I don't know. Like just looking at it, it feels, it feels really like it, like it feels like it could protect you, you know? Um, but obviously it's symbolic, so it could protect you, not necessarily in the tiny piece that it is there, but like spiritually. Um, okay. So that's, so that's that. Okay. And then number eight, nope, just kidding. I already read that number. We are on number eight. Okay. And he made the breastplate of cunning work, like the work of the ephod of gold, blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen. It was four square. They made the breastplate double. A span was the length thereof and a span, the breadth thereof being doubled. And they set it in four rows of stones. The first row was a sardius, a topaz and a carbuncle. This was the first row. The second row, an emerald, a sapphire and a diamond. And the third row, a ligure, an agate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, and jasper. They were enclosed in ouches of gold in their enclosings, and the stones were according to the names of the children of Israel, twelve, according to their names, like the engravings of a signet, every one with his name, according to the twelve tribes. Ooh, so something I just thought of, and I don't know if there's any kind of backing on this or if people have tried to hide where it comes from, but we have twelve months in a year, and that seems pretty symbolic to me about the 12 tribes, right? Um, And I think that that's pretty cool. And the only reason why I'm thinking of this is because each month, like they, we talk about birth month. um, They have birth stones, like people sell them. It's a thing that if you were born in February, your stone is the amethyst. And so I have an amethyst stone and so does little mama. But if you were born in a different month, you have a different stone. And I mean, I'm not going to go look it up because I'm trying to get through this quick. But if I were to look up the stones for each of the months, I bet those are either all of them or some of them. Because <laughs> I know that there's like a ruby or something. And like, I don't know what the name of a ruby is in back in the day. But anyway, I just kind of think it's so cool how the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel had different stones. And in our day, we have 12 different months and we have 12 different stones that represent each month. And so that's just, I don't think that's a coincidence, right? Because everything typifies of Christ. And so I think that's kind of cool that we can see that pattern here, even in our day, that that kind of continued. Um, so that's fun. Okay. And then number 14, and the stones were according to the names of the children of Israel, 12, according to their names, like the engravings of the signet, everyone with his name, according to the 12 tribes. And I'm, maybe there's a list of where those, which stones corresponded with which tribe, but I don't know. Cause then that means we could decide which, you know, which stone we would have for our it'd be like i get my birthstone from february amethyst but from my tribe i get whatever stone right like i don't know that'd be kind of fun um okay and they made upon the breastplate chains at the ends of wreathen wreathen work of pure gold oh excuse me 
And they made two ouches of gold and two gold rings and put the two rings in the two ends of the breastplate. And they put the two wreathen chains of gold in the two rings on the ends of the breastplate and the two ends of the two wreathen chains. I hope I'm saying it right. Then fastened it, the two ouches and put them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod before it. And they made two rings of gold and put them on the two ends of the breastplate upon the border of it which was in the on the in, on the side of the ephod inward and they made two other golden rings and put them on the two sides of the ephod underneath toward the forepart of it over against and the other coupling thereof above the curia above the curious girdle of the ephod and they did bind the breastplate by the rings onto the rings of the ephod with a lace of blue that it might be above the curious girdle of the ephod and that the breastplate might not be loosed from the ephod as the Lord commanded Moses. Okay. So then it says upon the shoulders of the ephod were the onyx stones with the names of the tribes of Israel engraven upon them. Okay. See, so yes, we carry Israel on our shoulders and then Israel can also protect us, um, on our breastplate right on our chest anyway therefore the high priest entered the tabernacle he symbolically carried the israelites upon his shoulders this can help us better understand two things about christ first the high priests were the type were types of christ the apostle paul taught that jesus was the great high priest second this can help us better understand the prophecy of jesus christ in isaiah 9 6 where isaiah says for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder End quote. Okay, and then the breastplate, chains of gold attached the breastplate to the ephod. Upon the breastplate was four rows of stones, and each stone was engraven with one of the tribes of Israel. Therefore, the high priest bore the names of Israel upon his shoulders and upon his heart. And, okay, so I love that it's on his heart also. So that makes sense. But I, when I look at it, at like look for a picture of it, okay? It looks like a little bit like of armor, like it could be armor and that could be cool too. Okay. And let's see. Verse 22. And he made the robe of the ephod of woven work, all of blue. And there was an hole in the midst of the robe as the hole of the habergian with a band round about the hole and it should not rend. And they made upon the hems of the robe pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet and twined linen. And they made bells of pure gold and put the bells between the pomegranates upon the hem of the robe round about between the pomegranates. A bell and a pomegranate, a bell and a pomegranate round about the hem of the robe to minister in as the Lord commanded Moses. And they made coats of fine linen of woven work for Aaron and for his sons. And the and a mitre of fine linen and goodly bonnets of fine linen and linen breeches of fine twined linen, and a girdle of fine twined linen and blue and purple and scarlet of needlework as the Lord commanded Moses. And they made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold and wrote upon it a writing like unto the engravings of a signet, holiness to the Lord. And they tied unto it a lace of blue to fasten it on a high, fasten it on high upon the mitre, 
mitre as the Lord commanded Moses. Thus was all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation finished, and the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so did they. That is so amazing that they just finished the tabernacle. So cool. Um, okay, so that's verse 33. We're on that one. Okay, so the robe. Let's read some comments here. A robe was worn under the ephod. The robe was made without seams and only had a hole for the head. In verse 32, it says that the robe had the hole of an habergian. A habergian or habergian is armor made of mail that slips over the head. So the robe was likened unto that. Along the hem of the robe were threads of linen wound together in the shape of a pomegranate. In between the pomegranates were bells of pure gold, or rather a bell and a pomegranate, a bell and a pomegranate round about them. There are various interpretations of what the pomegranate and the bells represent. This is a scholarly BYU article concerning some of the different interpretations. Okay, so go look for the picture, the Jewish tabernacle and priesthood by George C. Needham, 1874. Because it's just cool. Okay. Um, so here's the article quote, theories also exist to explain the presence of pomegranates on sacred vestments. Besides adding sound to rituals performed by the priests, the golden bells shaped like pomegranates dispelled demons. Others suggest that the bells were for the people. When they heard the sound, they would think of a high, the high priest and pray for him. Still others say that the sound sent a message to the high priest since the pomegranate symbolized the word of God. The tinkling bell reminds that bells remind the high priest of his duty to teach Torah to the congregation just as the people. C. Houtman concludes that pomegranates representatives of pleasant fruits were intended to create together with the bells a pleasant atmosphere in order to propagate jehovah being favorable to the high priest jehovah would be favorable to israel too okay end quote that was from mary abram the pomegranate sacred secular and sensuous of ancient israel okay um priestly clothing aaron and the other priests were wore specific clothing that they received after they were washed and anointed the linen clothing was made up of fine linen. There were also bonnets, breeches, and a girdle. Okay, so the linen coat, not only was the this undergarment made of the finest materials, but the making of it apparently required significant effort. The symbols contained in this single article of clothing are manifold. For example, the material of its construction being pure white is often seen as an emblem of moral purity. Okay, then breeches. These breeches or underpants were made of linen, which is not a product of animals, which are subject to death and corruption. Thus, they became a fitting symbol of both incorruptibility and immortality. Girdle. In certain periods of the ancient Near East, a girdle represented chastity and fidelity, including fidelity to covenants. The fact that this girdle was used to bind up the lion suggests a likely origin of its symbol. Sim Symbolism. It potentially reminded the wearer of those virtues which must be tightly bound to the righteous individual. Virtues present in the character of Israel's God and future Messiah. The fact that the girdle bound the coat and breeches close to the wearer's body was important for, as one commentator suggested, this is nearly always a symbol of service. 
The girded loins denoted readiness or for action. This must always be the attitude of the priest, and it is certainly true of Christ. And this was from, end quote, Alonzo L. Gaskell, clothing, clothed in holy garments, the apparel of the temple. So from BYU Religious Center. Okay, so after everything was finished, um, it was all brought to Moses. The Lord had previously given him the pattern for each thing on the mount. And now Moses looked upon them, and behold, they had done it as the Lord had commanded. Okay, so... Where was I? I was reading. Okay, verse 33. And they brought the tabernacle unto Moses, the tent and all the all his furniture, his tatches, his boards, his bars and his pillars and his sockets and the covering of ram skin dyed red and the covering of badger skins and the veil of the covering and the ark of testimony and the staves thereof and the mercy seat the table and all the vessels thereof and the shoe bread the picture the pure candlestick with the lamps thereof even with the lamps to be set in order and all the vessels thereof and the oil for light and the golden altar and the anointing oil and the sweet incense and the hanging for the tabernacle door the brazen altar and his gate of great of brass, his staves and all his vessels, the labor and his foot and the hangings of the court, his pillars and his sockets and the hangings of for the court gate, his cords and his pins and all the vessels of the service of the tabernacle for the tent of the congregation, the clothes of service to do service in the holy place and the holy garments for Aaron, the priest and his son's garments to minister in the priest's office. According to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel made all the work. And Moses did look upon the, all the work, and behold, they had done it as the Lord had commanded. Even so had they done it, and Moses blessed them. Okay, we're going to read Exodus chapter 40, and then we're going to be done with this, um, with Exodus, and then we're going to move on to Leviticus. So, Exodus chapter 40, the tabernacle is reared. Aaron and his sons are washed and anointed and given the everlasting priesthood. The glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle. A cloud covers the tabernacle by day and fire rests on it by night. Oh, this is amazing. Okay, so, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month shalt thou set up the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation, and thou shalt put therein the ark of the testimony and cover the ark with the veil. And thou shalt bring in the table and set in order the things that are to be set in order upon it and thou shalt bring the candlestick and light the lamps thereof and thou shalt set the altar of gold for the incense before the ark of the testimony and put the hanging of the door to the tabernacle and thou shalt set the altar of the burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation and thou shalt set the labor between the tent of the congregation and the altar and shall put water therein and thou shalt set up the court round about and hang up the hanging of the court gate. Oh, wait. Um, I did want to tell you that a laver was actually like this basin of water where they used this basin of water to cut, like wash themselves. And they basically needed to wash themselves from the first step that they had taken which was the sacrifice that they just had made i'm guessing that made them a little bit bloody more like a lot bit bloody because there's no way that that would not 
require some sort of like lots of blood mess everywhere. Anyway, so then they went to the labor where um, that's where they would wash. And that's why the labor has water in it. Okay. Um, and, and then let's see, verse 8... And thou shalt set up the court round about and hang up the hanging at the court gate. And thou shalt take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is therein and shall hallow it and all the vessels thereof and it shall be holy. And this is, remember, the first day of the month. Okay. It doesn't even say on the first day of the first month. I don't know what that even means of the first of the year. You know, maybe January 1st. We're going to pretend. Um but I don't know, I don't know in relation like when that was in their, in their time frame. Okay. Um, number nine, and thou shalt take the anointing oil and anoint the, no, wait, I already said number 10, and thou shalt anoint the altar of the burnt offering and all his vessels and sanctify the altar. And it shall be an altar most holy. And thou shalt anoint the labor and his foot and sanctify it. And thou shalt bring Aaron and his sons unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and wash them with water. And thou shalt put upon Aaron the holy garments and anoint him and sanctify him that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. And thou shalt bring his sons and clothe them with, co with coats. And thou shalt anoint them as thou didst anoint their father, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. For their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generations. Thus did Moses according to all that the Lord commanded him. So did he. Okay. Some awesomeness happening there. Okay. So then... Um, a lot of this is symbolic, but some of it is like for real. So when you go to the temple, I want you to compare what's going on here. Like when you go through your first time, I want you to compare what's going on here with what you experience in the temple. And I think that that's going to help, um, kind of tie everything together for you. And just like Right here, just some commentary. The Lord directed Moses to put each sacred item into its proper place and then take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is therein and shall hallow it and all the vessels thereof and it shall be made holy, right? So what was the anointing oil? So pure olive oil was a sacred symbol of the spirit. Oh, so this is in, found in the Old Testament student manual, chapter 13. Um, Sorry, let's go back. Pure olive oil was a sacred symbol of the spirit of the Lord. And it and its use signified the sanctification of the person or object anointed. And you guys would recognize this as, you know, when you're blessing um, someone who is sick, you use the oil to anoint the, you, you use the oil to anoint the head of the person who is sick or otherwise afflicted. And then um, you also use this oil in the temple, right? So the use of the oil can also be an indication of the existing purity of the person since the spirit of the Lord will not dwell in an unclean tabernacle. President Joseph Fielding Smith said the olive tree from the earliest times has been the emblem of peace and purity. It has perhaps been considered more nearly sacred than any other tree of 
or form of vegetation by the inspired writers of all ages through whom we have received the word of the Lord. In parables, in the scriptures, the house of Israel or the people who have made covenant with the Lord have been compared to the olive tree. And I love that the menorah that is inside the holy place is like the trunk is supposed to signify a tree trunk and the branches of the menorah signify or represent um like us i guess because the lord and and the tree trunk represents jesus christ and we come from him and so that's like what the menorah is supposed to maybe symbolize or could symbolize and um and then i love that when you light it and the lit the walls like everything just there's so much light right because like when we light each other's fi- uh fire of faith or flame the fire or what is it uh there's a talk about this. I can't remember. It's something like flame, f- fan, the fire of your faith or something like that. Anyway, but like it just would make everything so bright. And go look up that talk. But the, what was I saying? Yeah, so the tree trunk was representing Jesus Christ. and But it also represents the olive tree, right? And how um, Jesus Christ, when he was in the garden, was pressed so hard. Like that, like what happens when you need oil from the olive, you have to press it really hard to extract the olive oil. And that's what Jesus Christ has done for us he sacrificed himself and like he bled from every pore like the olive was like squoze so hard you know like like representing that sacrifice so i think that the olive tree is super symbolic of jesus christ as well um okay so why were the objects of the tabernacle anointed so here's another answer from the old testament student manual to anoint even these innate objects <sighs> sorry that's not what it says <laughs> to anoint even these inanimate inanimate objects with oil suggests that the tabernacle and all connected with it were sanctified by the spirit in preparing them for service to god end quote that's pretty awesome and then verse or and then says unlike the temple that we later built that will later be built in jerusalem this tabernacle was built in a way that it could be built up and then taken down easily as they traveled through the wilderness hence all the sockets boards curtains rings and staves therefore moses was able to have the tabernacle all reared up spread abroad the tent over the tabernacle and place the ark of the covenant behind the veil so go look up an image of all these things because it's actually so cool to to be able to see this. Um, the tabernacle, breastplate, altar, burnt offering, censers, the molten sea, brazen labor. Look it up. Pop- popular graphic arts, 1879. Whew. 
Okay, verse 17. And it came to pass in the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was reared up. And Moses reared up the tabernacle and fastened his sockets and set up the boards thereof and put in the bars thereof and reared up his pillars. And he spread abroad the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent above it upon it as the Lord commanded Moses. And he took and put the testimony into the ark and set the staves on the ark and put the mercy seat above upon the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil of the covering and covered the ark of the testimony as the Lord commanded Moses. So I think it's kind of cool. This kind of reminds me of how many, how many times they would have had to set this up and how long they would have had to travel with it. Like in order to put it up, you'd have to figure out like how long it takes you to set it up. Right. And if the Lord wanted to set it up on the first day of the month, or wanted to make sure it was up on that day, like how long would you need to travel for and like plan out your time to make sure that at this specific day, we want to make sure we're putting up the temple. And that just reminds me of like all the appointments that we need to make, you know, nowadays. It's like on this day, we're going to set up ourselves to go to the temple, right? Because we're making that appointment. Okay, and then Exodus chapter 40, verse 22. Oh, we're almost done here. And then I can stop yelling. And he put the table in the tent of the congregation upon the side of the tabernacle toward northward without the veil. And he set the bread in order upon it before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he put the candlestick in the tent of the congregation over against the table and the side of the table southward. And the and he lighted the lamps before the Lord as the Lord commanded Moses. And he put a gold, the golden altar in the end of the congregation before the veil. And he burnt sweet incense thereon as the Lord commanded Moses. Okay, so while we've been um, reading in Exodus about incense and candles and all these things, Dad made a funny joke. He was saying, oh, I guess now they're going to add a new product line, which is going to be like, scent, uh, what is it? candle scented candles and essential oils and things and i'm and it's only funny because right now there's a lot of like different multi-level marketing companies who sell uh essential oils and it's like this big thing here and so anyway it's just hilarious that he was like and now we know why it's gonna get more popular (laughs) so um okay and then Verse 30, and he set the labor between the tent of the congregation and the altar and put water there to wash withal. And Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet there, thereat. When they went into the tent of the congregation and when they came near unto the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses. And he reared up the court upon round about the tabernacle and the altar and set up the hanging of the court gate. So Moses finished the work. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation, because the cloud abode thereon, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And when the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud were not taken up, then they journeyed not until the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day, and fire was on it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Okay, so that's interesting. 
because they they couldn't move when they couldn't move out of their area if the cloud was there. And so they had to wait for the cloud to be gone so that they could actually pick up and move their stuff. Or if there was a fire, you know, they couldn't move. So that's that's something that I didn't know before. Um, so, okay, Moses, or no, hold on. Moses continued to set up the tabernacle and put everything in its proper place. Then this place is where Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet. And the laver, so this is six symbols of ancient tabernacles, the Y magazine. And the laver, quote, the laver stood in the courtyard between the altar of sacrifice and the door of the tabernacle. Cleanliness was essential for being in the in God's presence. In a practical sense, priests needed to wash often in connection with their role in the slaughtering and sacrificing of animals. See what I'm saying? Spiritually, the ritual signified being freed from the blood, dirt, and impurities of sin and the world. In this way, priests presented sacrifices and themselves before God in a state of purity and holiness. I love that, end quote. Or, end quote, and then, I love that. <laughs> uh, six symbols of ancient tabernacle, Y magazine, remember? Okay, so now the tabernacle has been completed and anointed, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. When the Kirtland Temple was built, and about three months from being dedicated, some church leaders met in the temple, and this is what happened. When Father Smith blessed his son, Joseph, he sealed upon the prophet the blessings of Moses to lead Israel in the latter days and the blessings of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. After all the men had been anointed, Joseph Smith testified the heavens were opened upon us and he beheld the celestial kingdom of God and the glory thereof. History of the church. Uh, this was found in the history of the church section two and Doctrine and Covenants section 137. He saw the blazing throne of God, whereon he see, was seated the Father and the Son. He saw the beautiful streets of the of that kingdom, which had the appearance of being paved with gold. He saw fathers, Abraham Adam, and Adam, and others who were living, including his father, who was with him in the room, his mother, who was home in Kirtland, and his deceased brother, Alvin. He saw the 12 apostles who had been called the year before, and he saw Jesus standing in their midst. According to the prophet Joseph Smith, during this vision, angels not only ministered to him, but to others who had received their anointings. The power of the highest rested upon us, he said, and the house was filled with the glory of God. His scribe, Warren Parrish, recorded his own experience at the prophet's dictation. My scribe saw in a vision the armies of the heaven of heaven protecting the saints in their return to Zion and many of the same things which I saw, Joseph Smith saw. Milton V. Backman Jr., March 1981, Ensign. Okay, that was that is it for Exodus and for the temple chapters which were seriously my favorite um go to the temple and see all the similarities and i didn't want to point out exact temple wording but the temple does use wording from the scriptures so that um because the lord provided those words and so that makes sense that that's where they would come from right so but it's it's awesome and Thanks for showing up. I love you and I'll see you in the temple. Bye. P.S. Leviticus is going to be in the next section, the next chapter. I mean, the next podcast episode. <laughs> um, 
just because this one was going to be that much longer and I didn't want to make it too much longer. So there you go.